0: Good morning. Thank you, Aaron. That was a—that's not true. It was you. <laughs> I see right through you. Um, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be mostly in John six, but uh, turn to John four. Um, the book of John. I, I think it's, it's a good time for us as we engage this miracle. It, it's a good time for us to kind of reflect on the things that have happened in the life of Jesus and the disciples uh, in the last week or so. But not the last week or so since like May of 2017, but like their last week or so. Um, <clears throat> uh, so the book of John is a biography about Jesus with a very specific purpose. John at the, his, uh, at the end of the gospel says, I've written these things that you might know that Jesus is the Messiah and that in believing you would have life. So the point that John writes both to his audience that he that that was the original hearers, the people that he was writing the book to and for us and to some degree those people that are in the stories the point of everything that's happening is that we might believe that he is the savior, the messiah, the one that Jesus has or God has appointed from long ago to come and save a people to himself. This is the point of every story that is relayed in the Gospel of John, is for that that we might come to that realization. So as we begin today and as we think today, I want to put our minds in the, like let's see, let's view this miracle, let's view the last week that's happened in these lives from the perspective of the disciples because I think it does us good to do that, but also we can put ourselves in that place, all right? We are disciples of Christ, so all of these things that are happening, I think that, that Jesus has something to say to us today. I think that Jesus has something very specific to say to you today, um, and it does us good to look at the whole of what's happening. So we're going to, I know that Kelly just read like four or five verses, but we're going to go through chapters four, five, and six today, um, and breeze through four and five, and then get to, to six and land there for a second. But I, I really I really want us to connect Foremost with, like, I think we do a, a, a bad job in the American church in compartmentalizing the stories that are happening in Scripture. And these miracles, we, we've studied each of them on a, on a Sunday. So one miracle one Sunday, and one miracle the next Sunday, one miracle the next Sunday. But these miracles that have happened have all come. In, in a very short period of time and and the last few miracles and the last few things that have happened have all come within just a few days of each other and so I want to dive deep into this and consider all of the things that have happened in the last few days to and around the disciples to create the climactic moment at, that, that Kelly just read from so john four we 're going to move quickly here John four is the woman at the well. In the story of the woman at the well, Jesus sends his disciples out into the town to go and buy food so that he can have a a conversation with a Samaritan woman, which is two major strikes culturally. There are big cultural walls that have been built between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritan Jews hate each other. There's a lot of deep-seated ancestral racism that's involved between Jews and Samaritans. And so Jesus wanted to engage with this woman, and so he sends his disciples off so that there are no cultural barriers between Jesus and this woman. Secondly, she's a woman, so he's not supposed to talk to her. And so he engages with this woman in a deep, profound way, and, and he cares about her. He shows great compassion on her, but he calls out her sin, and she's changed in an instant because of the, the engagement that Christ has with her. And then uh, I want to read uh, a couple of specific verses that, uh, that Jesus kind of lays out, in the disciples back as a part of, of this conversation. Verse 27. Again, the disciples have been away, and Jesus had this conversation, changed this woman's life, changed this woman's eternity, changed her reality, and the disciples come back, and this is what happens in verse 27. Just then, and just then, he's just said to her, I'm your Savior, I'm your Messiah, the one you've been looking for, I'm him. Right after that moment, the disciples come back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Think about that. They marvel at the fact that Jesus is talking to a woman what like a person's reality has just changed. You ever walked into a room where there's been like a really intense conversation happening, and then you're like, "Hey guys oh something something's going on here, and that's what happened for the disciples and and you know some of you are smiling in the middle of that whatever but but like I want you to get into the mind of the disciples. There's some crazy stuff that they've never seen happening. They've never seen a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. It's never happened for them. And not only that, they've never seen this sort of sexism and racism walls being torn down and and Jesus engaging this person. But when they walk into the scene... They're, they know that something profound has just happened there. And have you ever, like, in the middle of that, when you walk into something, when something profound is happening, it, like, it changes your mind. Like, like, You try to figure out what's going on, and you just don't really understand. And that is what's happening here. Skip down a few verses to verse 31. It says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, has someone, anyone brought him something to eat? No, nobody had brought him anything to eat, but he's got something more important than food. And so now get into these these people's minds. They don't, like cultural walls are being torn down. Lives are being changed. Eternities are being changed. And they walk into that. And then they say, Jesus, you need to eat something. He's like, you guys just don't understand. And so there's a, a lot of confusion that's going on here. Then after that moment, they hang out with the Samaritans for, for a few days, and Jesus continually breaks down walls, racial walls that culture has, has put up, and he's, he's poking into these people's lives, the, the Jewish people's lives, and saying we can engage with all of the races. And we can engage who I am with the races. And, and these Samaritan people, many of them, hundreds of them, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And the, the disciples all along are probably fighting with these inner racism thoughts that have been pressing into their lives since they were born. That we are not supposed to associate with these people. And they're not supposed to associate with us. We have this deep-seated hatred and dislike of one another. And, and Jesus is pressing into it. So, if you ever been in a in a situation where just an entire like community was being changed in a really positive powerful way that's what's happening for these guys. So their worlds are being rocked, their foundations are being changed and Jesus is changing eternities all along. So these people are just the the disciples are in the middle of some deep chaos. So when that all this craziness happens, they leave Samaria, and they, they walk to Cana, and that's where Jesus heals an official son. I preached about that a few weeks ago, and you can, if you can remember, when he, the official came to where Jesus was and said, heal my son, and Jesus told him to go, and your son will be healed, and in the middle of that conversation, he was picking on some religious insiders while he was serving a religious outsider, and that's like, I've said that many times throughout the course of this series, is that Jesus... Engages with the outsiders and pokes at the insiders. And for the most part, we and the disciples are typically what we would call insiders. So Samaria, Samaritan woman, engaging with her, performing miracles by changing people's lives. And they're crazy. They understand what's going on. And then he, he heals the official son. And then they, they leave there and walk to Jerusalem, about 67 miles from where they were with the official son to Jerusalem, sixty-seven miles, and they're walking. You guys ever walked sixty-seven miles before? No. Um, it takes a long time, and so they're they're walking sixty-seven miles to Jerusalem, and they go in to. You guys remember me me preaching about this where we walked into the he walked into the Sheep's Gate, and the Sheep's Gate was called the Sheep's Gate because that's where people brought their sheep. So there's sheep everywhere, and there's sheep everywhere, um, stuff, and sheep are, are dirty creatures, and, and so people are bringing their dirty creatures to here, but more than that, there's a pool where people think there's a special miraculous healing power in this pool, so there's a bunch of uh, people with, with disease and illnesses and, and broken bodies laying around this pool, so it's, it's invalid beggars and sheep, where Jesus decides this is where, how we're going to enter Jerusalem. And in the middle of that, he engages with someone and changes their world and heals somebody. And then the, it's a, a Sabbath day, so there's a, a religious barrier that Jesus is tor- tearing down. So he's already torn down sex barriers, he's already—gender barriers, and he's already torn down racial barriers. And now he's, he's tearing down, like, religious barriers. And these guys are seeing everything— get into the story with the perspective from these disciples that they're, they're seeing all of these things, all of their preconceived notions being torn at and torn away. And in the middle of it, Jesus is, is doing, being where the insiders are to push them away and being where the outsiders are to bring them in. And this is what, these, this is what the disciples are seeing here. So he heals this guy and then fast forward a little bit. To where he fed the 5,000, Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. But, but just before that, more religious activity that Jesus is poking into, uh, I want to read a passage of Jesus here where he's speaking to religious people, comparing himself to God. Uh, he says in John five thirty nine, you search the scriptures, Jesus teaching here, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Every other person that's ever walked the face of the earth to proclaim the message of Scripture before Jesus was trying to enlighten the people about what Scripture says. Jesus proclaims that Scripture is trying to enlighten you about me because I am the Son of God. Verse 40 Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Imagine, like, think, of, think about this scene. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, the most important religious people in the world at this moment. And Jesus, while his disciples are watching them, says to them, Jesus says to them, you don't have the love of God in you. Like, that's awkward, Right? Like, have you ever been, like, when I was a kid, one of the worst things for me ever was that we would go to a restaurant and get bad service. Because my mom and dad would tell the waiter, like, bring the manager over here. Bring him, and I'm like, please don't, no. But, like, it's, you guys can connect with that, right? That awkward moment where your parents are yelling at somebody and they're, like, really flustered. That's what's going on here. The disciples are watching Jesus tell religious people that they don't have the love of God in them. Verse 43, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. Again, super awkward. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes only from God? Do not, think that I will, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Jesus is, is poking at people, and, and the disciples are watching this, and this is all happening within just a few days. Like, one thing right after another. Like, we go from Samaria to Cana. We go from Cana to Jerusalem. We go from Jerusalem to this teaching experience. All these things are happening back to back to back to back. All, like, yesterday, all this stuff happened. It's really intense. Then... Right after Jesus is poking at the religious people, he feeds 5,000 people because he's teaching with authority and people are beginning to understand, and this logistical nightmare of trying to feed probably 12,000, 13,000 people here with one little boy's lunch. So that is all of the background to get us to uh, the story where Jesus is, is walking on the water. Um, that happens in verse 16. Uh, let, me, let me read these first three verses of our main passage this morning. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea and got in a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. So, fast-forwarded through two and a half chapters of Scripture to get to this point where Jesus is tired and Jesus goes and gets by himself and gets alone with God and leaves his disciples. So these disciples are together by themselves trying to figure out what in the world is happening in their with their savior, with the sky, with their lives. What's going on? They're trying to figure it out and Jesus has gone away. They get into a boat and and paddle away in their boat and the sea begins to get rough. And they don't know what to do with the sea being rough. Um, I want, again, connect here with the, with the reality of what's happening. These guys, chaos is crazy. Their worlds are upside down. Jesus poking at, at insiders and bringing in outsiders, tearing down cultural walls, teaching with authority, calling himself God. All of these things are happening, and these guys are super confused, and now they find themselves alone in a dangerous situation. Um, I want to say that again. The disciples find themselves alone alone in a dangerous situation think for a second here's where i want to insert us ourselves into the story we are disciples of christ we are these 12 guys and they find themselves alone in a dangerous situation have you in the last year found yourself alone in a dangerous situation um, I want to talk about, uh, ask, ask you a few questions. And I want you to, to, to ponder through these few questions for me. And, and seriously, think about them. I, I do this from time to time in a sermon, but I want you to, to really think about these questions. Where is life chaotic and unknown for you right now? Think about it. Where is life chaotic and unknown for you right now? Where is the wind blowing? These disciples are alone, confused. Life is crazy for them, and and Jesus seems to be nowhere to be found. And the wind is blowing. The ship could turn over at any moment. Where are you confused about the future? Think about these things. Where are you confused about your future? Like, this is one of the beauties of, of being a church this size. I get to know a lot of the intimate details of your worlds. And I could, like, I wish we had the time to, like, let's just all get together and let's talk about these things. Let's And, like, I know your stories. I know where you're confused about the future. Where are you distracted with circumstances? That's a, that's a big one. I believe firmly that Jesus wants to speak something really bold and really important and really eternal to you today. Did you wake up this morning thinking that? Get your eyes off of your circumstances. These disciples are alone and afraid. But Jesus is, do like, I think we know this, what I'm about to say, but we don't, like, practically know it we know that Jesus is sovereign and can orchestrate events to bring us to a place where we trust him more we like I, I don't know that you need me to say that to you but I think that in the midst of the practicality of life we need to be told that we need to preach that to ourselves that God is orchestrating events to get us to trust him more because in trusting him is life remember what John's point of his book to see Jesus as the Messiah and that in believing, you would have life. like we, we get that, but God here in this story, Jesus is orchestrating events. All of this stuff is a plan for Christ. From the woman at the well, to the feeding of the 5,000 people, to the teaching to the, to the religious people, the poking at all of them. He's doing it so that these disciples can see him being Jesus. And that believing that he is the Christ, they might have life. All of this stuff is happening for a purpose. For you, insert yourself into that story. Insert your story into this story. Where is it that you are looking too closely at your circumstances? It happens all the time for us. The next one. What are you afraid of right now? Like right now, what in your world are you scared of? I want you to, to, to really consider these things. What are you afraid of? Let me just read these again to us. Because I, 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 really, I really want us to, to engage here with these questions. Where is life chaotic and unknown for you right now? If we could read your journals, what would they say? Where is the wind blowing for you? Where are you confused about the future? Where are you distracted with circumstances? And what are you afraid of right now? With that in mind, verse 19. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. I've never understood this verse. His disciples scared and alone. I would think that when they saw Jesus, that would bring excitement to them, that would bring peace to them. But they're afraid. I don't don't know why, I don't have some deep exegetical explanation about why these guys are afraid. All I know is what these guys have experienced in the last several days and what they've experienced in the last several hours. And here they are, freaked out, nervous, scared, chaos, paying attention to their circumstances, and they look up and see Jesus and fear is their emotion. And then I I consider, I try to put myself into that, As a disciple of Christ, I try to put myself into that situation and understand when chaos abounds and when fear abounds, even when I see Jesus, I'm still worried about my circumstances. I'm still worried about what's going to happen to me here in this moment instead of seeing Jesus. <clears throat> here comes the punchline. Verse 20. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. It is I, don't be afraid. Do you know the word here, the phrasing here that he says, it is I? Do you know what that actually is? Jesus said to them, I am. If you've been around church enough, you know what that means. In the middle of their chaos in the middle of their what in the world is happening to me these circumstances have me crazy and i'm scared and again jesus plans all of this in the middle of that jesus walks on the water in front of them and says i'm god insert yourself here where wherever you are whatever is happening in your world whatever is happening Jesus is going to do a miracle to get in front of your eyeball to eyeball with you and say, I'm God. I'm here. Don't be afraid. Do you know that word or the root of that word afraid is phobeo from our word phobia? Phobia. That word appears 134 times in the New Testament, phobeo or phobio. And every time, except three or four, it's in relation to Jesus speaking the word to not be afraid. So whatever's going on in your world, whatever is happening in your life, Jesus is proclaiming to you. Jesus is not just proclaiming to you. That that's, that's that's weak. The fullness of what's going on here is Jesus orchestrating the chaos to get you to see him as savior. Jesus is orchestrating the circumstance. And and think about orchestrating. He's telling the strings when to play he's telling the horns when to play he's telling the he's telling everything when to happen for one purpose to get you to see him as god and in seeing him as god you would not be afraid i can't think of anything better that i could say to every one of you today That the creator of the universe, Jesus himself, in the middle of, of whatever is, is the answer to those questions for you, he wants to get eyeball to eyeball with you and say, I'm God, don't be afraid. Like that's, I can't think of anything better to say. That ought to change the way that we respond. Walk in faith with your God. He has, like, the point of of Jesus coming to this earth was to, to live a life perfectly and die a death that deserved to be ours so that we might have relationship with him. But all along the way, on the way to that Destination. that ultimate destination, Jesus is doing things that we've studied this morning. In four, five, and six, he has, he has taught people, he has healed people, he has performed miracles, and he has led his disciples to this place. Jesus is on a mission, but living out of his character the whole time. And that character is to proclaim to you I'm Jesus, I, I got this, and I'm, I'm here, I'm here. See me. Um, let's, let's pray and respond to our God. Thank you, Jesus, for engaging in our lives God, I pray now for faith that we would trust you. God, I pray that this miracle of Jesus walking on the water, that we would not be so consumed with the physical act as much as we are consumed with the spiritual act that our Savior cares deeply about us and engages with us with this simple phrase it's I do not be afraid God would you minister your Holy Spirit to us to come to grips with with that reality God to look to you and in looking to you we would not Be afraid. Lord, all over your scripture, you promise that you have good things for us. But the best thing is relationship with you. God, thank you for giving us that. God, may your spirit dwell among us as we in our time of response, that we might engage and see you. And then in seeing you, we would believe and not be afraid. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.